Thank you for joining me for this edition of Thoughts with Dr. Doug Beecham. I'm continuing a study through parts of the New Testament of how the Old Testament is is used in various Old Testament collections. We've looked at how Jesus approached the, the Old Testament scriptures. We've also looked at how the Apostle Paul did. I want to take a look with you in a series of podcasts at how the Old Testament is used in one particular book, the book of Hebrews. I encourage you, uh, if you are able to listen and you're seated comfortably, I encourage you to open your Bibles. I use the New King James Version for most of my reading out of a translated text. And if you will open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1, in a few minutes we will begin to start taking a look at some of the Old Testament scriptures and the background that's used in the book of Hebrews. I've often thought of the book of Hebrews as a New Testament commentary on the fulfillment of the Old Testament. I recently saw a quote, and I'm, I'm unable to find it exactly, uh, and exactly pin down who the author was. It's either ascribed to uh, N.T. Wright or to Christopher Wright. Uh, Christopher Wright is an, an accomplished Old Testament scholar who's written a great deal on the mission of God from a uh, Christian perspective. N.T. Wright, of course, is well known to, to a lot of you as a uh, Church of England uh, uh, priest, uh, a scholar, a pastor, a significant New Testament writer with uh, great insights and knowledge related to the intertestamental period uh, and, the, uh, uh, and the Old Testament period. The, the book of Hebrews has been a book of interest to me for a number of years. And part of the reason it's a great interest to me is because of its uh, use of Old Testament Scripture. Uh, a few years ago, I ran across a commentary written by Gareth Lee Cockerell, C-O-C-K-E-R-I-L-L. It's in the New International Commentary on the, on the New Testament series, and it's titled The Epistle to the Hebrews. Now, what, uh, not only the, the scholarship of it, uh, Cockerell is a professor at Wesley Biblical Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi, but it just so happens that I know uh, Cockerell personally. He and I were students together at Union, what was then Union Theological Seminary in Richmond, Virginia in the 1970s. Uh, I was in my MDiv work, and he was actually doing his work in his Ph.D., and I remember even now, I remember that he was studying and doing his research in the book of Hebrews. I have used uh, Cockrell to some extent in my preparations for uh, these podcasts. And there, I, I encourage you, it, it's, it's a book well worth your time to add to your library. Uh, Cockrell does a good job analyzing who the various potential authors may be. Uh, the Apostle Paul has uh, been considered. Uh, Apollos was considered. Barnabas has been considered. Uh, different ones have been considered as the possible writer of, uh, of this particular letter. In fact, it's included uh, in, in the Western canon. It's included at the end of, of the books that are clearly attributed uh, to Paul. Uh, 
The other part of that is that there's a reference to Timothy in the book. Uh, there's a reference to the writer, some relationship to prison in the book, uh, which uh, lends itself either that the writer may be Paul and he's writing in a very unique way and style than we see in his other letters, or it was somebody who is writing to congregations or a congregation that has a relationship uh, certainly to to Paul, to Timothy. And uh, I'd, I'd, I sort of leave that at this point as open. It's not, uh, in my opinion, it's not an absolute uh, point of debate uh, and consideration regarding the canonicity and the inspiration of the book. Cockerell writes about uh, about the letter. And by the way, Cockerell, uh, after delineating who all of the uh, potential authors might be, he, de- he decides to call the, the writer simply the pastor. And he views this book as, as one might view the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy can be viewed as a sermon, uh, sort, of, sort of Moses' last sermon, if you please. The book of Hebrews is also viewed as a sermon that this pastor is presenting to a flock. I want to share with you uh, some of the, a couple of paragraphs from Cockerell's uh, book. It's found, it's found on page 16, if you get a copy of the book. And I'm going to read a portion of this because I think it helps give a background for us as we set the stage for looking at the use of the Old Testament in the book of Hebrews. This is what Cockerell writes under the heading, uh, The Pastor's Congregation, and then the subpoint, What the Sermon Reveals About Its Hearers. Quote, The hearers must have been followers of Christ who could appreciate the elegance of the pastor's Greek and thus were at home both linguistically and culturally within the Hellenistic world. The pastor's sending the greetings of, quote, those from Italy, that's in chapter 13, verse 34, confirms the fact that both he and his hearers moved in a circle that included people living outside Palestine. The pastor is obviously addressing a specific group of people. Yet he does not call them a church or designate the city in which they live. These features suggest that he's addressing a house church rather than all the believers of a particular locality. This possibility is substantiated by the way he exhorts his hearers to greet all their, all their leaders, chapter 13, verse 24, and to be concerned for all the saints in 10.25. The mention of our brother Timothy, along with other features of the letter closing, that's in 13.22 through 25, suggests that the community addressed by Hebrews was closely connected with the Pauline circle and perhaps with other groups of first century believers as well. The members of the congregation to which Hebrews is addressed were obviously well-versed in the Old Testament and had been followers of Jesus for some time. Cockrell continues, Yet they were also in danger of compromising their commitment to Christ. They appeared to have suffered from lassitude and from a tendency to neglect the gospel they had received. They had become spiritually dull and thus slow to grasp the full significance of what Christ had done and of his continuing relevance as all-sufficient Savior. In fact, they were in danger of reverting to a spiritual immaturity totally inappropriate for experienced believers. 
the pastor fears in this lassitude, neglect, and regression might lead to apostasy from Christ. This lassitude and resulting danger of apostasy were clearly exasperated by the resistance of the unbelieving world. Many, at least in this congregation, appear to have been intimidated by the disdain and marginalization that they suffered as a result of their loyalty to Christ. Uh, I'm going to pause for a moment because I think that's a very important uh, observation about the book in terms of its history of 2,000 years old and for us today in, in the modern environment where there's a, a lot of uh, intimidation and marginalization, uh, even in the Western world, regarding those who take seriously the Bible uh, and, and hold positions that are affirmed in the Bible but that are contrary to the popular culture and are even contrary to some within the larger uh, uh, religious community, including Christian communities, who, who reject and do not uh, or interpret in a different way uh, the understanding of the Bible related to certain issues. Coming back to, uh, back to what Cockrell wrote, he said they had received the gospel from those who heard Christ and had been believers long enough to have successfully, successfully braved an earlier time of persecution. That persecution had included public harassment, imprisonment, and the confiscation of property, but had fallen short of martyrdom. Now, however, in their discouraged state, they shrink back from their Christian commitment due to present marginalization and to, and to fear that more, perhaps life-threatening, persecution may soon come. Their anxiety at present marginalization, anticipated suffering, and perhaps impending martyrdom may have been exasperated by a disappointment that Christ had not yet returned or by their failure to realize and appropriate His full sufficiency as Savior. Thus, some, at least, were neglecting to attend the community's times of worship. Under these circumstances, it was only natural for them to be attracted by the privileges and respect that would be theirs by abandoning their commitment to Christ and identifying with the unbelieving world. The pastor is concerned that they persevere in the life of faith and obedience. He wants them to continue to live as if God's promise for the future is certain and his power for the present is real. Cockerell then has these interesting comments. This is on the bottom of page 17 of his book. In order to understand the context of the recipient situation more fully, modern readers need to grasp the role of honor and shame in the first century Hellenistic world. People received honor when they were given public recognition that their attitudes and conduct conformed to what was socially expected. Shame resulted from public rejection due to lack of conformity. It was crucial to have a sense of what was shameful since a person's identity and reputation were closely identified with the honor and recognition given one for appropriate, appropriately fulfilling his or her place in society. Furthermore, one shared the honor or shame of one's social group. Thus, it was honorable to act in such a way that one protected the honor and public approval of those groups to which one belonged. Moreover, a culture of honor and shame was carried out within a patron-client relationship. Patrons were those who were socially superior and who controlled the benefits of life through wealth and the ability to bestow position and influence. 
the socially inferior client looked to a patron for the necessary benefits of life. It was the honorable thing for the patron to generously grant these benefits and correspondingly for the client to be loyal to his or her patron by supporting them in various endeavors, but most of all by praising them publicly and acknowledging their, uh, their benefits. Now, he goes on to say, in regard to this issue, and I'm gonna close this podcast with this and a few closing remarks. He goes on in talking about the issue of honor and shame that the pastor seeks to show his hearers that this very shame suffered at the hands of the unbelieving world is a mark of great honor before God, their ultimate patron. We're gonna see this in the next few podcasts as we're looking at chapter one and particularly in chapter two. In chapter two, the issue of shame is going to arise before us. Well, I encourage you If you get an opportunity, uh, buy uh, Garrett Leith Cockerell's uh, commentary on the Epistle to the Hebrews. It's a very, very large book. It's uh, well over 700 pages, but it is done very, very well. And you will be blessed by reading it in conjunction with your reading of the book of Hebrews. I look forward to continuing this study of Hebrews as we move into chapter one in our next podcast. Thanks for listening.